Okay, welcome back to the channel. I'm joined here in person for the first time with my father. Um, this is his office, so a lot of good memories of discussing things together ourselves. This is also the place where I first read the Gospel of Philip, so it's very special. So for those of you who haven't seen the first episode, this is again going to be about the Gospel of Philip. We're going to be continuing our exploration into the text and I think going into uh, more tangents and um, maybe less focus on the text itself, or at least we're going to be speaking. That's difficult for me, I'm not focusing on the text itself. We'll see where it goes <laughs> at the end of the podcast, we'll see where we end up. Okay. But that's the idea. Yeah. So why don't you start us off and... Um, okay, yeah. so let's let's recap a little bit. Uh, we, um, we saw that the Gospel of Philip is this weird collection of very short statements but that you actually find structures in sections and uh, some 12 sections. The first section was a teaser and the second section was really about reality. Um, um, that uh, the truth or truth as a capital T truth comes from a different reality and that you cannot really say anything about it with the words that you have from here. Mm. But you have nothing else. Mm. So best do it anyway. So. Truth is one, but she became many in order to teach us through the many about the one. Yeah, that's the uh, that's the whole idea. You need the many. You need the. We are in the many. We yeah, are in the yeah. world. We are in the manifold it's world. Also, what we spoke about with language. Yes, exactly same as with language. So this is really this is fun stuff because um, um, already in this very old text, the, the the core of the philosophy of religion is is touched on. Uh, we cannot say anything about God, and yet we write big books about <laughs> about it. We have sermons, etc. Yeah. Um, so that was, say, the first two bits that we did. Now, the total of 12 we're not going to do here, um, but there is perhaps uh, one bit that I could be doing here, which is the, the first, what we call, mystagogical text. So after having done seven evenings, they've come to the decision, yes, yes, I do want to be baptized, I do want to transform, I do want to be different. Uh, they're now amongst themselves, and they are in the night preceding the, uh, the the ceremony and they are being introduced into the ceremony so i guess the the, the three texts that we're going to discuss well, we're not going to discuss but that would be discussed in the group would either be done on three uh, consecutive days or nights or perhaps even in one mm. and then the last two are really when you come back into the community you get something of a sermon and something of a farewell speech uh, with the group itself. Now the interesting about, thing about the farewell speech is um, that it sort of um, uh, summarizes the whole experience. Yeah. So maybe it's fun if we read the, if you want. the last bit of the entire Gospel of Philip because then you've got an idea. If one becomes a son of the bridal chamber, so the bridal chamber is the big, big thing, he will receive the light. If one does not receive it while he is in these places, he will also not receive it in the other place. He who will receive that light, the powers will not see him, nor be able to seize him. Nobody will be able to torture this sort of human, even while he still inhabits the cosmos. 
or when he goes through the middle, remember that middle area, when he comes out of the cosmos. Already he has received truth in images. The cosmos has become the other Aeon. Mm. This world has become heaven, yeah. in a way. Yeah. It's already there. For the Aeon is the pleroma to him. The pleroma is the other word of the fullness of God. Everything that's divine, everything that is, um, has become um, to him. And it is this way. So it's a reality. It's a reality that you live in heaven on earth. Mm. It is visible to him alone. It's, a, it's, it's the experience of the mystic. It's not hidden in darkness and night, but it is hidden in a perfect day and a holy night. Mm. Holy light. And that's the gospel of Philip in a nutshell. Mm. <clears throat> so the whole idea is how do you get to this place where you are living in two realities at the same time? And I guess that's a good question for you. How do you do that? Uh, no, no. <laughs> How did your experience change you that you took something of that experience into your daily life? Okay, yeah, I see the question. Well, one important thing for me was that while having experienced that and while feeling that it's on another level, um, it's not just on that level, as is being spoken about here. I think that it's definitely something that happens often with people who have these experiences they they glorify them so much that the only place where they can actually experience the divine is within those experiences but exactly the trick is to not go that way is to find it here yes and to realize that it's here <clears throat> that requires a lot of presence um, they often say that a spiritual experience is worth nothing if it doesn't make you into a better person mm -hmm. if it doesn't change you into a more present husband or or mother or, or friend if it doesn't turn you into a better person and it's worth nothing so i think integrating that experience requires a lot of discipline it requires you um likely make a change in your life because you've seen something so beautiful um you try to make the world more like that experience that's so, something so what that, kind of changes did you make in your life then for me it was mostly introducing love back into my life or really into my life. Um, I was already disciplined yeah. um, and you probably recognize it when I say this, um, but I wasn't as loving as I am now. So, um, so, so may I paraphrase you now? For, yeah, of for course. A second? So you went into love, into my experience yeah. and you brought love out of that experience, experience into your life. Yeah, I discovered it. Is that a good it. paraphrase? Yeah, it's a great paraphrase. I think I discovered it, you know, it wasn't even mine to take. It was mine to experience and in mine to discover in this world. Like, it's there. Well, well, the Gospel of Philip, this is the language of the Gospel of Philip. Yeah. You went inside to bring it outside. Yeah. But the fun thing is, you became it. Mm. Because it says something like, whatever you see in this world, you see in this world and you stay the same. Whatever you see in the other world cannot be anything else than that you become it. So if you see the Father, you become the Father. If you see the Christ, you become the Christ. Mm. If you see the logos, you become the logos. Yeah. If it's not like that, it hasn't happened. At least you try to be. No, no, it's not trying to be. It's what happened to you. So if you you want what you described as, I saw these loving beings mm. uh, during my experience. That's what that's I th thought. Yeah, that's what. And I said. there was a wordless knowledge that you were communicating. Yeah. And so there's logos there. Yeah. And there's love there, and there's truth there. Yes. Can I use those words? You can use those words. The only thing I'm 
always hesitant with is maybe I experienced something much lower than what these people are actually speaking about. In my experience, it was like, it was like the most overwhelming thing. But so that's let's all. let's just because yeah. we don't have anything else. Yeah, we don't. We don't have anything yeah, else yeah, than your experience to yeah, work yeah. with now. So let's sure. just let's we're just, stuck. We're stuck with it. Okay. So, so let's yeah. just use it to approximate whatever they have felt. Yeah. 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 That's true. So in their language, they would have said, uh, "I saw love and I became love. I saw light, I became light." Yeah. And then the clue is how to bring that out when you go back into the world. How yeah. to be light and be love in this world. Well, it wasn't very difficult, mostly. Um, I think for my family, it was a lot getting used to me telling them that I love them all the time. And at first, they likely won't believe you even. Um, but I just felt, after a while, of course, and, and he's he's more easy with this than others. But I think... It takes a while to build character. First, it's like a habit. It's like, oh, he's got this new thing going on. But after a couple of years now, I think it's it's clear um, that it really transformed the way I view the world. And the that's way a good remark that you're making. He's got a new thing going on. Um, although Lucas says he's disciplined and he is disciplined, um, that was uh, in uh, first that was in going to the gym. Yeah. Then it was in eating no fat at all. Then it was in eating fat. I'm, I'm changing the words. I don't know the exact order. Then it was in eating eggs. Then in no eggs. Then it was in uh, eating meat. Then in no meat, etc. So you had you had this embrace with all your discipline of different things. But this one was one that stayed. You have you you've stuck with this idea of love. Yeah. You have not let go anymore. No, because it's the only thing I really trust. I mean, nutrition science often changes. Um, same with the way I exercise, they can change. But acting from love to me is the highest thing you can do. And that's something I know for, for a fact. Mm. Um, like if you're an nihilist, you don't believe this, but I believe that it actually makes life better. I think that a life well lived is one in love, um, in love with the world in love with people and with love toward other people but actually doing that especially at the time was extremely easy because I had felt such an overwhelming feeling of love that I felt that all the other things like the, the stress uh, the worries they were so insignificant compared to the love to a degree that they they seemed to be the unstable thing they seemed to be the impermanent things but love seemed to be the permanent thing so it was, it was so obvious to me that what that would result in in my everyday life is um, a breaking down of walls that, that kept me from, from loving people fully and trusting them um, with my love. Um, because I found out that the more love you give, the more you get. Mm. Even if someone doesn't explicitly say that they love you, you immediately get rewarded. Um, so it's, yeah. really, it's really true. And it's... Uh, it's the most rewarding thing I can do is just acting from love. So that was very easy, especially after the, the experience. But it's very important that you keep working on this, this integration to be disciplined in the sense that you keep working on being present. Uh, meditation helps a lot with that for me, but also just, you know, exercising, just making sure that I'm also a balanced person in every way. Because if I don't exercise, I turn into a bit of a demon. If I don't, if I don't do my reading, I, I turn into a bit of like, I also know I'm a very human person, so I can't just act like I'm a sage or something, but it definitely helped me to see what things in my life I was doing right and what things in my life maybe I could use less of, like, like vanity, like, uh, 
like lust, like anger, like those things did not serve me so much. Mm-hmm. So it, it, I think what it did is it helped me see that more clearly. I think that's also what Christ does for a lot of people mm-hmm. because he symbolizes basically the archetype of good. And you kind of know what that is. When you <laughs> you're hitting it now. The, 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 whole, the whole baptism experience for uh, the Gospel of Philip is to embrace the archetype of Christ. Yeah. To become Christ, yeah. in effect. To become someone who has been christened, been anointed. Yeah. But you never really become it. No, no, they would say you, you became it. Yeah, yeah, that's why... That's why, that, but let me, let me give you an example. Uh, I did my confirmation when I was 16, which was quite early in a Protestant church. Uh, so after your confirmation, you can go and be part of the Lord's Supper or the Eucharist or how you call it. Um, being baptized as a child, you do a confirmation uh, where you embrace the faith and then uh, also enjoy the, 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 the presence of the community in the Eucharist or the Lord's Supper, as we call it. And then I chose, because they asked me, what, what text would you like to be, uh, to, to receive? I, I could actually ask for the text that I would like to receive, which was perhaps a bit lazy on the side of the minister, but, but I could choose the text I really wanted. Mm. And that's the text, God is love. Mm. So for me, that was, when I was 16, that was the most important text that I knew. God is love. And, and then I thought, of course, that I knew something about love. <laughs> yeah, which I didn't. No, no. When it was only when uh, your oldest sister yeah. was born uh, that it was in South Africa. We we were in South Africa. It was a beautiful experience. It was a home birth um, with one of the two midwives of the whole of Johannesburg uh, present in in our home, and when we we received this beautiful child, and it took a long time, and it was course delivering a child is very very difficult uh, but still it was a beautiful experience to be present with with my wife in that moment and um, and then in the Dutch tradition we go out and send birth cards mm-hmm. uh, out to everyone we know and I um, and I got to uh, I had a printer who was just on the other side of the copy, which is the hillside in Johannesburg, on the other side of our neighborhood. And it was more of an industrial area. So you, so I would walk across the copy, uh, going up, going down, meet all kinds of people. Mm-hmm. And I was like in this pink cloud and thought, wow, all of you have experienced this love, this love of having someone in your arms, a baby that you love unconditionally. Yeah. That cannot do anything in return or you're not even thinking of about in return and I was just thinking wow this is how my mother and father have loved me mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. this is how God loved me mm-hmm. of loves me yeah. present yeah so I, th- I thought I have never experienced not even being in love with with my wife came close to this unconditional love um, so that was really for me the first moment that I thought, well, I've talked about love so much, but I've never felt it the way that I feel it now at that particular point in time. Yeah. And that's also a sort of experience that you then try to integrate because I can imagine it informs your worldview as well. Yeah. I know a lot of people, I know for famously Joe Rogan, when he got his first child, I think, um, he started to look at the world and he's like, oh, 
these were all babies at some point. <laughs> exactly, like, it's that feeling. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes when you talk to people who are who say they are not religious, yeah, uh, but who have become parents, uh, you touch on that experience and 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 you share something of the the thing that is bigger than yourself. Yeah. Uh, so it's a beautiful way of entering it. Yeah. Now, um, the text that we're going to go into a little bit is, uh, is the text right before being baptized. And you have to get into a, a Greek philosophical tradition. Uh, we talked about Heraclitus at the time. Um, they think of spirit as something that is like fire, like, like very hot air. Mm-hmm. And if the, if the hot air falls down to earth, it is congealed, it becomes moist, it becomes water. And then it, we call it soul, because the verb for psyche also means the verb for cooling off. Mm. So they would say, um, with this text, from water and fire, the soul and the spirit came into being. Yeah, That's just physical fact. It's, it's what a philosopher could have said in this area in that Greek culture without any problems from water and fire the soul and the spirit came into being and if you read Origen a Christian philosopher uh, a Christian Hellenist could have said exactly the same thing from water and fire the soul and the spirit came into being now the interesting thing is from water and fire and light so now something is added to it the son of the bridal chamber comes into being Mm. So light needs to be added. So now we're going to pick it apart. And the fire is the chrism. The chrism is is the anointing. And the anointing is made with olive oil. And the olive oil is, of course, the same thing that you put into your oil lamp. So oil is potentially light, is potentially fire. So the fire is the chrism. The light is in the fire. Yeah, and the I fire see, is I in know. the oil. Yeah, so you, you see it is yeah. in the chrism. But I do not speak of that fire that has no form. Mm-hmm. And form is, of course, an important Platonic word. But of the other, whose form is white, which lights up, which lights beautifully and which gives beauty. It imparts beauty. So he's talking now about the highest form of light. So on the one hand, there is this, 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 this oil lamp that spreads light. Mm-hmm. And on the other hand, there is this, uh, this, this higher light that is represented by that image. So the, the lamp is the image exactly. and the light is the font. Now, the text that we're going through, rather than the 1, 2, 3, 1, 2, 3 uh, rhythm that we had last times, is now slightly different. It is, it is a sort of a spear point. So it is 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Yeah. So it ends at the end with the same thing, um, and now I go to the end immediately, no, nobody will be able to see himself, neither in water, nor in a mirror, without light. Mm. So now you get to it, huh? the, the, yeah. so the, the, seeing yourself, oh yeah, you can see yourself in the water, you can see yourself in the mirror, but if it's dark, you can't see yourself. Mm. You need a light. You need a light to see who you really are. So you also need the form. So then, then the form is imparted on you. Yeah. It is that 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 which lights beautifully and which gives beauty. Yeah. It makes you beautiful. Neither again will you be able to see yourself in light. 
without water or a mirror. So yeah. you can be in light like we are now, but I can only see you. You can't, I can't see myself. Yeah. I need a mirror before I see myself. Yeah. Or in this case, a screen or from, yeah. from uh, the video. Yeah. For this reason, it is necessary to baptize twofold. In the heavenly, I add the word heavenly now, in light and water. In the heavenly light and the earthly water. Does it have something to do with, um, if you think about the allegory of the cave, you go yeah. out of the cave, but you also go back inside with this information. Does it, you, you, it changes your view for, of reality. Yeah. But it's of course not just a cave. It's also uh, a cave also feels like... Um, a substandard life. Yeah, exactly. It's it's not, it's not. No. And the light is the chrism. We already talked about it. So it it, it starts with the same image as the last image. And I I, I, I like to think of this image as people would go down. Um, oh, that that's an interesting one. Uh, I don't know if you can see this, but on the uh, image of the booklet, and you will put it on the uh, yeah, I'll just put it up later on. Um, is the oldest church that was ever found was on the the, per the Persian border at the Euphrates River, and it was collapsed in 231, so the third century, and it had this beautiful little extra room where they would baptize people. So people would go in there, they would disrobe, everything would turn off, all, all, all jewelry would go off, there would be no difference between between rich people and poor people. And they would be baptized in the nude, in the water, and would receive a white robe as mm. they got out. Uh, Baptist, uh, Baptist churches now do it differently. You get first get a white robe, and then it gets wet. Mm. <laughs> they would do it like, you, first you would get into the nude, you would be baptized, you would come up and be anointed. So you would have this, this, this fire, this, this, this chrism with olive oil, and then you would uh, receive your rope, you would receive a light in your hands, an oil lamp or what have you, and then the, the, the baptized candidates would enter the bigger room where the community would be, and then they would have their first Eucharist um, as a group, so they would be part of the community. Now, that little extra room is a dark room, because of course it was modest, so they didn't want people to be ashamed because of their nudity. Um, and this, this, this text that we just read says something very interesting. It says, look, here is the water, and you can recognize yourself into the water, but it's dark, mm. so you can't see anything. So, so I imagine the people being entered, brought into a room in which there is a, a water basin, but you can't see anything. Mm. So come closer, come closer, come closer. I'm actually going closer. Yeah, yeah, I'm actually going closer. And can you, can you see yourself? No, 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 you can't see yourself. And then I bring in uh, this, bring in this little oil lamp yeah. with the oil, burning olive oil. And now all of a sudden your face lights up. You see yourself in the water. The miracle happens. The oil is brought, the fire is brought yeah. to the water, and the two together make you see yourself. Can you imagine? Yeah, it's very special. Now, if that happens in this explanation, then you know, wow, there's something that, that will happen to me. I will see who I truly am. Mm. I think it's very important that it happens this way because it mimics what is supposed to happen within as well. Yes. And I think that's the power, one of the powers of ritual is that you do actually act out 
in reality, in physical reality, what is supposed to be happening within. So the transformation within should result in a transformation without, because otherwise you just have a spiritual bypassing where you're, you know, you can just be in meditation all day. Um, but again, it doesn't result into you actually enacting that transformation on yeah. your daily life with the people you love. Um, all of this community, physicality, yeah. Uh, words that give some guidance yeah. should all be there but the words that are spoken uh, was interesting uh, uh, John Vivekhi has a recent series on um, uh, transcendent naturalism, naturalism yeah. uh, together with Greg Enriquez do I say that correctly? I'm not sure okay. uh, and his last episode was on ritual um, and um, main thing is ritual is not about the propositional knowledge that's being imparted. No. The, the, the fact that we are talking about it is actually weird. Yeah. You should be part of it. Yeah. You should experience it. But I'm trying to, to ex at least get something of the experience across. Mm -hmm. um, but it's the community, it's the experience, it's it's the shivering, it's the shame and then no longer shame by disrobing, etc. Everything that happens to you is part of it. Mm. And what you just said is exactly how the Gospel of Philip um, uh, then proceeds. It says, remember that we talked about truth, that it had to come into language. Well, it also comes into ritual. Yeah. So truth did not come into the cosmos naked, mm. but she came in types and images. And a tupos is an image. Yeah. An image is an image. Yeah. It's just almost the same word. You will not receive her in any other manner. Mm. You receive her, you receive the truth. You, so the, 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 the utter truth of the transformation of the other aeon is not received that... that that I explain to you what's going on. No. But by being part, by participating in the ritual. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there is being born again, mm -hmm. and there is an image of being born again. Yeah. It's truly necessary to be born again on the inside through the image, through yeah. the ritual on the outside. Yeah. What is the resurrection? What is the image? Through the image, it is necessary to rise up. The bridal chamber, and we'll get to the bridal chamber, why the bridal chamber is important, but we'll do that a little bit later. The bridal chamber and the image. Through the image, it is necessary to come into truth. And that is the restoration. That's an old Greek term. Um, but it is something that everything is restored as it should be. Hmm. So paradise is restored, yeah. paradise is regained. Yeah. Um, it is necessary for those who do not only receive the name of Father, Son and Holy Spirit, but that they themselves are acquired by you. Yeah. So this is also their criticism of the normal church. You would be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. Oh, that's nice. No, no, no. They would say you have to become Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Mm. If one does not acquire them, even that name, that's the name of Christian, of the, shall be taken from you in the end. That's, that's, that's the scary thing. And this is also how they're still scaring these non-Gnostic, uh, these, these people to become Gnostic Christians rather than remain in the church. So that's 
that's sad again, but but I think the idea behind it is important that the um, that uh, something of who God is will be part of you. So as Paul would say it, God will be all in all, will be everything in everyone. Yeah. I think the idea that you actually become, you have to become Christ or you have to become, I think in many ways it can also be very dangerous because I always think about these things in the sense that you can be close to God or you can be far from God. If you have a conceptualization that you're actually becoming God yourself, um, then there's no more work to be done. No. That's true. that's absolutely true, and and they may be overshooting here somewhat, but not too far. Remember that in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, "You be perfect like your Father is perfect." He is asking something that you cannot be. Yeah. Uh, nevertheless, it is this aspiring too that, yeah, that draws you upward. Yeah, that's the idea. And this aspiring aspiring too says that something in you becomes one with that which to which you are aspiring. And that, and the fun thing, of course, about the 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 the, the, um, uh, the anointing is that you are actually anointed in this baptismal ceremony. So, it says, and one receives them, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, in the chrism, which is the resin of the power of the cross. So, resin is something that a tree that is cut would let go of huh that's this 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 sap, this, this sap but it's it's sticky and it's yeah. smelly and it's very nice smelling actually yeah, I like it. and they put it into the oil to make when you burn the oil you'll get this nice fragrance yeah okay okay so uh but what he says is this this olive oil also has something of the suffering of the cross in it mm. um and this power of the cross the power that the apostles called the right and the left we already talked about light and right and left on, on on the cross you are no longer a christian but you are a christ you have become anointed because christ just means the anointed, anointed one yeah. so the lord did everything mysteriously baptism chrism eucharist and then of course redemption and bridal chamber mm. Now it's perhaps good to to understand a little bit why they are talking about the bridal chamber all the time, uh, because it's the unity of feminine and masculine. Um, you may remember that um, uh, uh, when when God creates human beings, he said they say he's, they are created in the image of God, he, male and female. Yeah. So God is not a man. God is not a woman. God is the integration of male and female. Mm. And um, yeah, I, I guess that's part of the, uh, the beauty of it. And, 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 but they would trace it back. They would say, why does death exist? Because men and women, male and female got separated. So they would say, well, the whole act, remember that we said that the God of Genesis is not a good God in the eyes of the Gnostics? Mm. Because God took Eve out of Adam, yeah. he separated male and female. Yeah. And what the apokatastasis, the restoration of all things is, is to restore maleness and femaleness to a new integrated whole mm. again. So that's, that's the experience that they want. And we can say a few more things about it, but it would be fun to, 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 to listen a little bit to you. But because you are now in a committed relationship. 
Mm-hmm. Um, how does that feel for you? What does it do for you? Integrating the maleness and femaleness. Well, it's funny. I spoke about this before in another conversation that I actually quite have a, a feminine way of going about things in terms of personality and you know I have this loving side as well and my partner my girlfriend she also has some some masculine features but what practically looks like for us at least for me what I aspire to is to integrate both sides of that so I try to well, I think the ideal in the Christ I think is that as well as the masculine and the feminine incorporated and I think what, what happens, at least this is how Jung talked about it, is that as a man, um, when you encounter women, something of your feminine spirit gets gets activated, your anima. And in, and in women, it can work the other way around. Like when women are with men, uh, their animus gets activated. So yeah. there's some of that. And of course, men and women aren't masculine and feminine. Like I say, it's much more nuanced than that. But it can elicit that sometimes for you. And I think it did do that for me. Um, to go back a bit in my life, I never really had female friends. But when my brother got a girlfriend, Madlif, I remember that distinctly activating my feminine side. I was like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, I have this soft side as well. And that's, I think, what your mother can do for you. Yeah. Um, and in my relationship, I think what I've really learned is is to take some of those those traits, even though my, my girlfriend has some masculine traits as well. She really has activated that and, and it made it more like lasting, let's say, yeah. that, that, that feminine side. Yeah. And I'm much more comfortable with it, um, which I think some, some, some men can have trouble with, with embracing. They're, they're, they have trouble with being vulnerable mm-hmm. for some of these reasons. Um, so that's a bit, yeah. I've experienced it. And I think you're the same. <laughs> Like you are, <laughs> I'm the one who cries during movies. So. Every movie, like the worst movie. <laughs> the worst my movie. Mom, I will uh, cry. <laughs> yeah, my mom is quite. She can be also quite quite masculine in many ways. A matter of fact, she would, <laughs> she would look at it. Oh yeah, no, no, okay. <laughs> yeah, but she is still the one I always went to when I had to cry. Like there is that that deep, um, that motherly power. Mm. I feel. Yeah. That is deeply linked also to her being the mother, that that she would be the one that I, like as a child that I would go to if I. Yeah, I think I'd we say. have to distinguish very much between persons and and, and archetypes. Yeah, and we're not saying that a a, a a woman needs to conform to a female archetype or a man needs to conform to a male archetype. Yeah, we're not saying that at all. No, um, we we rather say that every those archetypes are far bigger and larger. And we had a discussion about this with Adam. Mm. Uh, are far bigger and larger than um, uh, what is now being typical male or typical female um, because male and female together are generative that they're literally one plus one is three Mm -hmm. I mean remember Isis Osiris and then Horus gets born Mm -hmm. so the whole thing about generativity about life itself uh, about creativity is that the male and the female together are able to produce life yeah uh, that is awesome, and the, the 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 fact that you put two in evolutionary terms that you put two different sets of genes together makes the development of life so much quicker yeah. than than if you wouldn't have that. So so nature has really chosen to 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 take these two 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 archetypes uh, as a way of 
um, developing us, mm-hmm. making us grow. Yeah. And I, th- I like the fact that you mentioned Jung because Jung basically lived in the 50s or something when he was writing about his 40s. I, I, I don't know when he wrote um, uh, uh, this, 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 this book. Um, uh, what was it? Uh, no, f- f- Is it the archetype book? Mysterium Conjunctionis. Yeah, yeah. You have it. Uh, uh, there. Yeah. And um, what, what, what I like about the idea is in the 50s you had these very strong patterns of what a man was supposed to be in society. Yeah, that's extreme. And in Jung's, in Jung's thinking, it was, yeah, but he's not like that. The man is not confined to that role. He's yeah. far more than that, but he learns to sort of put parts of him in boxes in his subconscious. Um, and then creates this image of who he truly is mm-hmm. as a f- feminine, the feminine part of who that truly is. And that's what he calls his anima, which is a different word than, than, than the word soul in, in, yeah. in, in the Gospel of Philip. But, but, but he, it, it basically is that is what is already you and what is then ignited or what you recognize as, as soon as you come into that relationship, that human relationship with, with, with your girlfriend. Yeah. And then something of you can be present there. So it's a lot more nuanced thinking, even though he comes from a very, <laughs> very stereotypical period of time when, when males were supposed to be like this. And then yeah. he says the same goes for females who are also restricted, but probably have a lot of male characteristics that they sort of store at the back. Uh, uh, and then relationship is a way actually to become one again. And I think perhaps we have far more freedom nowadays. Yeah. So maybe it doesn't work anymore like Jung was describing it that much. Not as strongly. Not as, as strongly. Not as yeah. liberating anymore. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think They're it was a liberation to get into a relationship. Yeah, yeah. Because you For were sure. so confined in your, your, your stereotypical role as a man or as a woman. Yeah. Uh, and now that... Now it's the other way around. There's so much freedom that it's difficult to find out who you are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, a lot of confusion for sure. And now you decide, oh, I'm a man or I'm a woman, and you decide to embrace a stereotype. Yeah. Um, sometimes. Huh? Yeah. Like, it's like hyper-femininity that you sometimes see. Yeah. Or hyper-masculinity that you see. Yeah, and that's really what it resulted in as well, because we see the people that are gaining prominence are exactly these figures. Like, this is the age we live in. Mm-hmm. It's when we try to actually eliminate the mem- the feminine and the masculine like they don't exist the figures that come to the top if you look at pop stars for example that these hyper masculine like gangsters like andrew tate is the most masculine of these i feel and he's the one that that young boys look up to because it's just so confusing sometimes and the same on the feminine side you often have these well, you're a bit special in that respect that you do all these exercises which gives you a masculine body Oh yeah, and then at the same time you're doing all these conversations that sort of embrace you embrace your femininity in that. <laughs> yeah, it's as an archetype. So I mean, I'm yeah. not, not talking about biological. Yeah, no, of maleness course. or femaleness. Of course, I feel that that that's the goal. <laughs> yeah, like that's how I always experienced it. Well, not always, not as a teenager. Like growing up in pop culture, that's not who I thought I should be. But more and more, I see that's kind of an ideal I'd like to work toward, and. On the outside, people might not see that, but as soon as they speak to me, they usually realize, like, oh, okay, this, this is not a threat. No. <laughs> like, um, yeah. So, yeah. So, you don't have to become colorless in your integration. You don't become an androgynous um, uh, neuter. You become yeah. both male and female. Yeah, God exactly. created man, 
male and female in the image of God male and female so yeah. God is very female God is very male we don't have to make all these kinds of stupid uh, 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 neutering that our, our heavenly parent or something we can just say God our father and we can say God our mother it's all fine we have this, this text that says God says I I delivered you I bore you as a oh, yeah. mother or I took you on my hip I think it also shows in how many ancients just embraced the idea of, of goddesses. Even yeah. though like the, a lot of Greek society was quite misogynistic, um, even Aristotle himself, very clearly so. But they still had clearly this masculine and feminine, and the masculine didn't seem to you know, be any better um, no. in terms no. of, of gods and goddesses. But yeah. on the ground, it was a lot different. So, yeah. Yeah, I'd say that. Yeah, I would say, however, that the hyper-masculinity and the hyper-femininity is also part of the Greek pantheon. Mm. So that would be a different discussion that we... Yeah, yeah, we need I to also have that one don't one know anything about Greek gods. I'm reading the Iliad and I'm just yeah. confused. Well, there's a second point about male and femaleness that is important to the image of for the Gnostics. Yeah. Um, they would say the word psyche, our word psyche... Um, sort of the psyche that Aristotle and, 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 and Plato are talking about, uh, is a female noun. It is, it, it is, it, it's a female. So the psyche, soul, should be a she. So we both have a female psyche. Yep. Um, and they would have some stereotypical thinking about it. So the, f the female psyche is always led. If the psyche is on its own, it, is it will behave irrationally. It will not come to fruition yeah uh, but it can be led in different ways it can be led by a um, bad man and a good man yeah so their thinking was that if the psyche is led by the outer man mm -hmm. uh, then it would be led into uh, bodily uh, functions like uh, lust and jealousy etc whatever you um, but if it would be led by the inner man, mm. by the heavenly man, by Christ, it would be led the good way. So they would say, part of the problem is that the psyche got separated from the pneuma or pneuma, uh, but it's you, you spell it with a p, the pneuma, yeah, yeah. okay, yeah. the pneuma. Um, so they would they would argue that without the pneuma, the the psyche is mortal only integrated with the pneuma yeah. um, or as, as or origin would say remember this discussion about fire and water mm -hmm. and the psyche is the cold cold version so she is human she is terrestrial but if she heats up by love yeah she becomes spirit yeah because she simply heats up so water becomes steam Mm. becomes goes up yeah so that would be the idea the the physical uh, philosophical way of looking at how psyche becomes uh, spirit but therefore it has to be let go of by the body because as yeah, long as exactly. she is contained within the body she remains moist so you need that love to become immortal yes, yes. that's that's the way that they would be thinking about it yeah that makes sense i think it's also an acceptance of god if you conceptualize god as love if you let that love in, then it can... Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense to me. I always wonder about these things, like... 
I had this experience and then I felt I felt no fear of death anymore and I still don't if I think about it but of course I think if the moment comes it's different <laughs> mm. uh, especially being so young and a fear of what it does to my environment of course um, but I wondered if people could lose that connection you know what I mean like you say you need that love to actually become immortal I was so even though I didn't fear death for myself I wasn't sure if that actually translated into no fear of death or no end of death mm-hmm. uh, for all people and that that's still something I wonder about a lot and there's a lot of different thoughts about this in the in the religious traditions um yeah i never <laughs> yeah i never reached a conclusion about that because i can't imagine that you get so stuck in the body by not realizing uh, something transcendent some, something something of love that that you can you can fail to um, yeah to reach well there was a little bit of that in our first discussion yeah when you learned about that you could be dead without knowing that there is an that is alive. yes Yes, yes. So then you have no problem. You have no fear of death. Why should we be afraid yeah, that's of what, death? Yeah, but atheists because often you, see you're, you're dead anyway. Yeah. <laughs> and then you've got that. You, you can be you can be mortal, like you are alive, but you're in fear of losing that life. Yeah. And then you can be eternal. That means you, you, you have no fear at all mm. because you know it will go on. And funny enough, that's almost the same position as when you're dead. Yeah. Because <laughs> you're no longer in fear, and I, I. I I feel sometimes religion has made people fearful. Oh, for sure. So they've, they've, they've learned something about there is life. Oh, yes, you've, you've sort of sniffed it. You know that it's there. And you may not have it. Yeah, exactly. That's the worst position. That, this Gospel of Philip would say that's the worst position to be in. Yeah. Yeah, no, certainly. I'm afraid that that's also been what turned so many people off to religion why they like to embrace this idea of oh there's nothing so there's nothing to fear yeah in many ways that's much more comfortable than thinking oh there's actually a judgment uh it can be quite terrifying yeah i always always think that also that the church tried to get a lot of power over people by saying well we can make you either get into heaven or in hell yeah and if that's our power then you best you, you best respect us for it and, and give us your money and etc. I don't I don't think that most churchmen were like that, but the system as a whole yeah probably functioned a lot that way. Yeah. So they they would give money to build churches and monasteries etc. Mm-hmm. And of course monasteries are very nice because knowledge is being uh, passed on to the future generations and beautiful churches are very nice and I still yeah. enjoy going there. But sometimes it, it hurts. Oh, like, yeah. like, hey, what was the motivation? Did we make people afraid in order to to give? Yeah, and, and it shows that dispute? there's a human element in all institutions. Yeah. Um, so religion, I think that's why I had such a complicated relationship with it. Yeah. Still do. It's also hard to say what exactly is religion, what turns into cult-like behavior, or what turns into an oppressive institution. Um which many argue it did and, and sometimes is, but yeah, then, then you wonder, okay, what's the alternative? And then when you have a state and there's no, no death, or sorry, there is, there's no afterlife, then you can be even more manipulated by that. Because if you have fear of death, then you can, like, then you're, you hold on for your dear life and you go to extreme lengths to keep it. So I think sometimes the alternative 
Mm-hmm. It's even worse. And I think Peterson often says that what a lot of the atheists do is they try to discover the uh, totalitarian spirit in a religious institution, but they don't realize it's not just the religious institution. It's not even coming from that. It's a human thing. Yeah. So it's in every institution, and it's probably worse in the state. Well, that's the point. I mean, the manipulative is the human side. Huh? Yeah. So if the church manipulates the access to heaven or hell yeah. in order to build its own position, the same could be said of the fact that there is no heaven and no hell means that I manipulate how many days you still have to live. Mm. Like, for instance, health becomes the most important thing. Yeah. And I can take away freedom, I can take away truth in service of promoting health. Yeah. If, if that's if that's the biggest thing that there is in life, the, the days that you still have to live... Then everything else will suffer. Everything must be subservient to that. Yeah. So yeah, it's very, I mean, it's very satanic thinking in the sense of like, the you know, the number six, the number seven, the number six being like, you want to bend things to your will. Seven is the wholeness, the holistic view of reality. Six mm-hmm. is like, mm-hmm. so the Nazi Germany type of way of thinking mm-hmm. about it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like very analytical left brain thinking. Yeah. You completely... Because you, you go into utilitarianism, you say, well, what's the biggest utility? That is that I live a healthy life for as long as possible. So what do I need to attain that? Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Is that really what makes people profoundly happy? To, to be healthy? Yes, it's certainly important. Yeah, but that's the problem At with science, price? right? That's the problem with science, is it doesn't tell you these things. Yeah. So that's when people think that, that when science, they have a, a worldview that's like, it's subjective, it's good for the world. And it's like, no, it's not necessarily good because it can be used for evil as well. Yeah. And so it doesn't inform you at all about good and evil. So if science can tell you what good and evil is, you need something else. And if you think you can rely on your own intuition, I'd say you're pretty naive. Yeah. <laughs> like I tried that for myself. Like I was very much, when I came out of this experience, I was like, okay, it's not Christian God, but I experienced so let me just very carefully figure out what this thing is, like morality and stuff. And I started to like try to figure it out for myself. Maybe I could do that. And even thinking that I could is already such a... Mm-hmm. You're already taking such a stance of, of I'm above religion. And so I think we can't really do without. You need something to inform you, a worldview that is... Like without a, a, any any knowledge... On, on metaphysics, on things beyond just the, the, the scientific level. Yeah. If you try to do that for yourself, it's going to be very difficult. If you have a whole network of, of religious traditions that you can let them inform you, um, and I'm not just saying that Christianity is the only thing that can provide that, quite the contrary. But um, Yeah, the interesting thing with what you're saying is, of course, there are attempts to do that, huh? to yeah. have ritual without mythos. Huh? Yeah. The ritual without the story that accompanies it. Yeah. Um, and often religion provides community, mm-hmm. provides ritual, provides a story, a narrative. Um, and as, as I just said, that, that um, uh, episode with Viveki, uh, these are all the P's that are not propositional. We, we don't have to do this with scientific logic. Rather, we have to learn how we best be in this world. So you're talking about the participatory yes. perspective one procedural. Yes, procedure is very much about the ritual. How do you do the ritual correctly? Yeah. 
perspectival is within the story you take a perspective. Now I am the Christ. Yeah. And participatory means I'm being transformed in this experience because I'm actually baptized. I go into down into the water. I'm actually christened. I'm, I, I receive the oil. Yeah. I actually become part of the community by moving from the one room to the other room and I spread the light because I've got this oil lamp in my hands. And then I digest the body of Christ and the blood of Christ in, in, in uh, by the way, they would also get milk and honey. So even the story of the Exodus would be, would be brought back. Yeah. So there, there are all these stories you participate in, both from a perspectival, procedural knowledge and participatory knowledge. Yeah. Uh, it's mind boggling. And they haven't finished. No. <laughs> I think that's the biggest, that's a very important point. Yeah. You're part of this story. Yes, you you continue writing the story, and it means a responsibility as well. So yes. when people think like, "Oh, this is just like reviving some some dead story," that that's oh, it's one of the one of the things that really scares me. Yeah, is that people are discouraged now to baptize the children. Mm. They sort of say, "Well, we can we can cut that tradition here. Mm. We are we are at the point." In society where we are enlightened enough to say, well, let's just stop it. It doesn't mean anything. Or if it means something, it is restricting the choices that my child would have. As if uh, baptism would be saying, well, this is the only way for my child to behave for the rest of her life. Um, and, and we sort of take, say, well, we stop the tradition here. Mm. We stop the ritual here. We stop the story here so this, I, is a, this is a very modern idea and why do you think it's wrong it's not wrong but you have to start all over again and what do you build in those few years that you have hmm. do you build community yeah do you build this multi-layered meaning system that you can be part of the exodus at the same time that you're part of uh, of the crucifixion and that you're part of um, uh, the, the medieval uh, uh, experience that built the churches that, that you can still visit and see are you still part of the fabric of society not just horizontally but also through time Yeah, you have to start all over maybe you're, you're that good what does it look like practically to start over? Well, someone well during that same episode, they talked about okay, we'll do we'll do uh, this this new religion that's not Christianity or do this 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 participatory knowledge. Let's put in uh, rituals: one with fire, one with ether, one with earth, one with water. Hey, funny, you're taking Greek philosophical concepts. So basically, it's not that easy to escape. Predecessors. No, you're, you're going to take. But even so. Then you invite people to be, to take part of that say that that ritual about fire, and so you make a big fire together and you say a number of things, and that's nice. But is it as rich as knowing that this is what your father did, this is what your grandfather did, this is what all those generations took place, this is who you have become? Maybe if your experience of who you have become is oppressive, that you want to get rid of it. Maybe if you feel that your peers find it ridiculous that you want to get rid of but you're basically giving stuff up the question that i have is not that that's wrong but how quickly are you able to build up something that that replaces all that meaning yeah and if if it would have been instantaneous 
would have been possible then we wouldn't have a crisis I, I fear so yeah I know you want to... <laughs> I, I want to go back to the text. Yeah. I'm the text guy. Let, let's keep it so, so Remember the, 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 the spearhead that I was talking about? One, two, three, four, five. Four, three, two, one. We yeah. first had the two about the water and the fire. And then we had this image of, of, of coming closer to the baptismal font. And so is this the, the top and the bottom? It was the top and the bottom. Now we had truth came through images. And that is talking about ritual and the fun thing that the, the thing that's across that in the gospel of philip and i won't want in this section i won't talk about it too much is the crucifixion mm. so the mythos so ritual and mythos are now mythos are now juxtaposed yeah so the story is as important as the ritual the ritual enacts reenacts the story and the story informs the ritual yeah and then we get to the uh, more central parts and that was really about what we were talking about, your love experience. Mm -hmm. So therefore, he said, I came to make those from below like those from above. And those from the outside like those from the inside. So it's about reintegration. And to join them here, he works through types and images. Yeah. Now, you had this, this talk about this sect that you, this, this, this cult, uh, about aliens, can you, can you tell me about that? Yeah, yeah, we just watched the documentary about a cult called Heaven's Gate. You and your girlfriend. Yeah. And this cult, the basic idea was that the two main leaders, man and woman, they were actually aliens. And they were convincing their followers that they were going to be picked up by the other aliens. And in order to be picked up, they had to like... As much as possible, renounce the body, um, realize that this is not like this, but they did actually have to. So that true self was an alien and it was trapped into this, in this human body? Kind of, kind of, <coughs> yeah. So, so how does that work? So are you done in two, two places or are you trapped here? I think, <laughs> I'm not an expert on this cult, but I think it was something like that. Um, so initially, they thought they actually had to, with their bodies, go into a spaceship. Uh -huh. This was like that was the, the first story. Yeah, this was like the seventies. Then at some point, the the female died from cancer, so that story didn't really hold up anymore. And then he was like, "Oh, she actually is already there." And then, tragically, in nineteen ninety seven, they all killed themselves because then they would also all be there. Okay, so so we have here, the, in a nutshell, the the early church. Originally. We thought, ah, like this. Originally, yeah. we thought that the Romans would, would have a big war on, uh, on Israel. Yeah. And that God, with his angels, would snatch up the believers, bring them to heaven. You can read that in Paul. Yeah. That's your spaceship. Yeah. yeah. So that was the original idea. Yeah. Um, but then, some of the believers started to die. Mm. And Paul writes this beautiful letter in Corinthians. What will happen to those who have died? Because it's a weird thing. I mean, we're supposed to live until the spaceship arrives and we get snatched up. Yeah. <laughs> but, now, but now we've got guys and girls who have already died. So what do uh, we do about them? It's a big problem. So, okay. So that's where your resurrection of the body comes from. There was an idea that was already there. Okay. But now Paul needs to, to, to do th two things. And he says, well, um, uh, it's not like that we will precede them they will precede us because as soon as the spaceship arrives, he would call that the angel with the, uh, 
uh, uh, with the horns, they would blow the horns, and then the resurrection would be there. And then, of course, some says, some say, yeah, but I understand that. So you've got these resurrection bodies. Uh, they're special. They can go up, but but we are like bulky, fat. You not so much, but you're still heavy. Yeah. So how do you get up? Yeah. How does this soul that is being wet and watery and earthly become spirit that it goes go up? And then Paul needs to figure out something that 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 that, that he can use, and he knows that Jesus was seen after his death, and that he had a different type of body that could go through the walls and through the doors. So he says, we will have heavenly bodies. We have a body that can actually go through the stars. Same idea. Mm. So, um, and those who have already died, some people would become come to say, well, that they had a problem with the, the, the resurrection as, as in the future. So more and more Christians came to believe, no, no, I'm not just dying. I will, as soon as I die, my soul will go to God and I will be in heaven with my soul. So that's a little bit the story that your cult leader had when his friend died of cancer, that she was already there. And then it's the shedding of the body that becomes important. Yeah. So you rather die. That was not the original idea. The original idea was that Jesus would come before, uh, at the height of the suffering, and everybody would be brought to safety or was the spaceship yeah and i think it's it's mistaking the cosmos for spatial area yeah or like the reality in total because that's a modern ways of doing it for yes. sure and and when we speak about the the souls going through the stars we're not actually speaking about stars like <laughs> yeah but it's still what people will read into it and that's i think why this concept of of, of extraterrestrials is so People are so obsessed with aliens. Whether there's aliens on different planets, I won't argue against the four, but it's more like that's not the point. <laughs> because because we're so materialistic, the highest transcendence we can ever imagine is aliens on another planet. Yeah. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. But that's because we, we've now understood the planets like to be like Earths. Yes. But if you remember the Lion King. Yeah. And the Lion King is uh, the spirits of the ancestors, of the, the lions have already died, yeah. go up and are shining like stars in heaven. That's very much Greek mythology or even Greek philosophy, like Heraclitus would say, those hot souls become yeah, spirits. Yeah. And they become, they, because this, 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 this heaven is more or less like a ceiling. And you've got these little pockets in the ceiling that these hot spirits, the hot gases, gaseous spirits come, and then they're burning there like they're like, like stars. Yeah. And then these Gnostics said, well, that's just Greek philosophy. We know how to break through the ceiling and get to the true father of all. Yeah. Because, anyway. Now, the, the fun thing, that we find this cult a bit weird. And we say, well, that can't be really it. And, mm. and, and the beautiful thing is that this Gospel of Philip actually goes into that point here. Okay, let's do it. Those who say there is an earthly man and one above him are wrong. So that's the demiurge. Yeah, but this is, this is mind-boggling because we've talked about heaven above earth for, for so long now. We think we go move up to God rather than stay down on earth. He says, those who say there is an earthly man and there is one above him are wrong. For the one who is visible 
to them, that's the outer body, is the one here, that's what we call the one below. So we, we say that is, that is Lucas, and the, the Lucas, she, your soul, she, inhabits this Lucas, he, the body. But there is also Lucas, the heavenly Lucas, the heavenly man Lucas, that she, if, she would, if she would stay with her heavenly personality, then she would be free and would move up. Okay, that would be the spirit of Lucas. <laughs> and now he is saying that that is wrong. For the one who is visible to them, body Lucas, is the one who is called the one below. And the one to whom the hidden one belongs is the one there who is above him. That's what people say. It would be better to say the inner, the outer, and the one outside the outside. Mm. So the inner would be the spirit, yeah. the outer would be the soul, and the body would be outside the outside. So basically what we feel, this is Gnostic text again, huh? Gnostic yeah. text is not so appreciative of the body. So the, the outside of the outside, that is like fringe. So our reality is fringe. Mm. And if you get to the core, you get to the soul, then within the core is the inner. Yeah. And that's like the heavenly man. So he now makes a complete shift from a spatial idea to a psychological idea. Mm. And also the, the threats that are being showed in, in, in moving up spatially to God are called, a little later in the text, like jealousy and strife and envy. So that they're on your way in, yeah. that you have to get past those. Yeah, exactly. So that's really the psychological turn that we read here. Yeah? I think it's fascinating in a text mm. like this. Yeah. And now he's engaging in some... Now we get to the middle part. Or maybe I should first do the, 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 the spear, spear point again. Spear point. Therefore he says, um, Before Christ, some came out where they could no longer go into. Hmm. So the moment that we go out of paradise, we can no longer go into paradise. And they went to where they could no longer come out. They went into the world and they can't come out of the world anymore. That's, that's the story of Genesis. They lost paradise. But Christ came. Those who had gone in, into the world, he brought out. And those who had gone out, out of paradise, mm -hmm. he brought in. When Eve was in Adam, death did not exist. When she separated from him, death came into being. So here you see the, the male and the female. This is why the bridal chamber is so important. And here you see the paradise and the world. And yep. that's why the integration is so important. Yet again, if he goes in, back into paradise, and if he receives himself there, even Adam combined, spirit and soul combined, there will be no death. So life starts at the moment that spirit and soul are reunited by going into the inner man in paradise. That's, that's the whole idea. Hmm. So now we've got all these stories of paradise, of heaven and earth, uh, uh, of the crucifixion. All these stories are now, all these images are mixed. And now it's getting fascinating because now he wants to connect that to Jesus. So now we get to the spearhead. Yeah. Okay. Remember that we ended with 
for it's better to say the inner, the outer, and the one outside the outside. Mm -hmm. Because of this, the Lord called the destruction the darkness on the outside. There's nothing else beyond it. There's this story that Jesus talks about someone who's being thrown out of the wedding feast. Yeah. And he's thrown out in the outside where's the gnashing of teeth. Um, that's where, where, the, where is this weeping and gnashing of teeth. So people are bitter and resentful because they're in the outer outside. So living in the bodily world and being thrown into that world entirely gets you there. That's the darkness. That's the outside. He said... Um, this is a very neat little illustration of how this go, goes. So we've got this darkness on the outside. There's nothing else beyond it. And then he goes into a text of Jesus. He said, my father, who is in the hidden one, he said, go into your chamber and close your door behind you and pray to your father, who is in the hidden one. This, so pray to your father in, in, in the hidden one. And that's the hidden room in the, in the gospel rather than praying in the street. But he now says it's, it's your inner self where you yeah. go into and where you pray to the Father, which is the one within all of them. So it's your deepest core, and that's mm. where you find the Father. Um, and that, and now we move to the, the third part, and that which is within all of them is the pleroma, the other word for it, the fullness of God. After that, there's nothing else on the inside. You can't get inner than that. Mm. Um, of this, it is said that it's the one above them. So the highest God is within your heart. Uh, the big thing that's different from Orthodox Christianity is that you invite Christ to be in your heart and reign in your heart. Whereas in, this teacher would say that that divine spark is already in you. So that's the difference between Orthodox Christianity and Gnostic Christianity. Uh, but apart from that, I think this is, this is an extremely interesting description of what you were talking about. You went into your experience where you found love, a logos that cannot be put into words, um, and then you take that out and you start living that on the outside. Yeah. So it's the integration of the inside and the outside, the above and the below, that changes you as a human being and then makes you able to live out that life on the outside. So the what, what I ended with from the Gospel of Philip, um, the present world has become the pleroma. Heaven yeah. has become earth. The future has become the present. Paradise has become, um, let's say, an industrial zone. Yeah. You can be both at the same time. Yeah, and, and importantly, I think the experience is not enough some people, for example, they do psychedelics five times a year <laughs> because they struggle so much with having experienced that and then bringing it inside. Yeah. Or if you use the metaphor differently, taking it outside. And I think... So they leave it inside is what you say. So they go into yeah. the inside, they experience it, and they leave it there, and then they go out again. Yeah. If that's the metaphor we're using, you're leaving it inside. Um, or you take it outside for a little bit and then it falls back in. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that happens all the time in, in those... So you're not fully integrated. No, and I think that's where the importance of a, of a practice comes in. Yeah. When we were talking about discipline, um, you don't use it, you lose it type of deal. Like, it's the same with, with exercise. Uh, you're just going to lose that muscle. And 
and yeah, not having a spiritual tradition, not having something to to like throw yourself at, um, which is I think also something people criticize Peterson of. They they say like because he doesn't have that tradition, he he fails to embody the wisdom that he often speaks about. Um, in the sense that he's, he's sort of he's more of the observer who looks from the outside on how it works. And yeah, he's speaking, it he's speaking about it all the he's time. He's explaining it to us as a, the out, outside observer. Yeah, he's converted more people than most priests, yeah. but he's he's failing to to act it out for himself practically, and so having some sort of practice um, and an ideally a tradition, I think, again, I'm not sure, might be necessary. I saw Tammy interviewing someone, his wife. Yeah, and she says, "Well, I'm I'm I'm, I'm moving toward Catholicism, but I've but she started with praying the Rosary. Yeah, which had all these little beads. Yeah, and then you just do that in order to have a practice. Yeah, so it, it's entering their home very much. Um, I, I don't think there is zero." Uh, there no but he's a middleman that's what he is like he's in the middle yeah he's yeah. an intermediary being <laughs> but but no you're right but uh, yeah. well the interesting thing about the Christian tradition here is this 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 type of baptism is, is adult baptism that's it's about people who are consciously taking the decision and who have a very deep transforming experience and not like baptism today uh, it, that is also transforming and it's also very deep but it doesn't come close to the elaborateness of the second century, third century. Now, the fun thing is, you said you have to maintain it. And the way that they did it is every year you go through the cycle of the mythos. So every year you do Christmas, Eastern, Ascension Day, Pentecost. Every day, every year you go through that cycle. And every week you go through the cycle of the Eucharist. Mm. So every week you go... Uh, into the same moment of Christ dying and resurrection and you participating. So you reenact your ayahuasca experience, <laughs> in a way, Yeah. ritually, de- de- death and every year, every week. And then you also do it every day, because you actually go into the night, and you say, Lord, I'm going into the night, please let me sleep, yeah. keep me safe. Then you come out of it on the other side, and you say, Lord, it's a new day. What can I do for you? Use me as you as you wish. So so your whole prayer life, your daily prayer life, your weekly church life, your annual story life, narrative life, tradition, that all reenacts if it's done properly, a transformative experience yeah. that you are part of. I think we've as a church we've lost a lot of that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but so, this is so, how powerful it could be. No, exactly. So when we're talking about this, it's not like hey. Go to church, everything's fixed. Uh, I think we both can easily acknowledge how much we we lack nowadays, and sometimes it's hard to to see what what the way forward is. But uh, yeah, just seeing what the value is or was at least, or still is in some places. Yeah. That's it. But then to give um, for Veiki is due. There seem to be ways of of integrating this without the narrative have you found it well he gives often the example of buddhism which is it's a narrative yes but a lot of people that practices don't seem to at least and i'm very ignorant about buddhism um 
not have it to the same degree that, that we have it in the Christian tradition. We live inside this story and we reread the Gospels. I'm... Yes, yes, you're right. The narrative of the Exodus, the narrative of the, uh, the Babylonian... Um, uh, I've lost the English word for it. <laughs> Sorry about that. But uh, the, the, the fact that they were brought into Babylon and out of the Promised Land and had to come back. Um, and the, the Babylonian exile. exile thank yeah. you. Uh, the narrative of, of Jesus that those are such powerful narratives that they really govern more the ritual than anything else and the practices. I think that you're right that if you look at Buddhist tradition, that um, especially the way that we encounter it from the West, we encounter the practices yeah, it's more much... than the stories. Yeah. Although I, must I, don't say think that... I would not dare to say that Buddhists themselves would be narrative-free. No, I don't no, think so at all, no certainly not. And I, I must say, like for myself, reading about the Buddha, um, I don't think even directly. I did read some of the text, but the, he does embody some of those same archetypal features. Yeah. It, it's, it's, it's not the same as Christ, definitely not. It's a different type of, of archetype, but it's definitely something you can aspire to and seems to have a similar effect um but i'd say again like you just highlighted just now um some people try to move post that narrative and and so that's the big the Uh, big contest it's a good test will western type buddhism without the narrative foundations of buddhism without the worldview of buddhism Trying to just do the practices, yeah, in a post-religious world, would it be as beneficial and as powerful? Yeah, or maybe the Thorvaki route. What what he's trying to do, um, he's trying to do without narrative as well. Will that be successful? And well, he's not doing it entirely without narrative. What he basically, what he is doing with um, with embodying the sage. You can choose different sages, like this, like Aristotle, yeah, like, right. like, like like Socrates, uh, but right. also Jesus, etc. So I don't think he's entirely without narrative. He just doesn't commit to a single narrative. No, you're right. You're right. And um, there's also a funny distinction between, like, we don't have to regurgitate the discussions between Viveki and Peugeot and Peterson, where they endlessly debate what story means or what narrative means. Mm-hmm. you know they're like <laughs> you know yeah so well, we, we don't have to do that but i think that um at least i'm open to 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 whatever is possible for people i know that, that my path it works um i see the framework i feel it i feel the presence um it's my grammar i have biblical grammar inside of me that's yeah. just who i am um but i know there's people from other cultures where it would be very difficult and that there's people that are so traumatized by whatever christianity they encountered that they can't do it. So all I'm saying poison, is... It can be a poison. Narrative. Yeah. And yeah. There, there's bad religion in there for sure. And all I'm saying is that I'm very open to what what that has to offer, um, even though it probably is not my path because I don't think that's possible for me and I have too, too deep of a connection. Um, yes, but you can you can be empathetic for when sure. you talk to other people. Um, for sure. And I, I don't think I'm better. Dis- I love having discussions with people from different dis- 
uh, traditions, not because we're discussing who's right, who's wrong, but but I'd like to know what they experience. And I often I often feel there's more that that we share. And I feel, and that's that's I think where Peterson comes from. Behind all these stories are archetypal stories, yeah, that go back m- thousands of years, if not longer, yeah. Uh, and these are stories of how to be in the world. And some people have have remarked that the story of Jesus is pretty much like almost like the Lord of the Rings. It's, it was one of these stories that combines so many of these archetypical stories that. That that it is super powerful. Now I happen to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Mm-hmm. Hey, call me weird yeah. <laughs> or unscientific, but I'm not doing it on scientific grounds, but on historical grounds. Uh, but even so, I really don't care that much about it. No, it's happenstance. If God would have chosen to reveal Himself, or if in this language, Truth would have chosen to reveal herself uh, uh, through any other story, any other human being, any other life, any other um, um, concept, that would be, would have been as good. Yeah, I think but, the underlying thing is, sorry. But I'm convinced that what the, the, the friends of Jesus, his mother, his girlfriends, his, his boyfriends, and let's just use those words, uh, not in a sexual way, but, 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 but really to understand that these were people who shared their life together, what they experienced was nothing less than um, uh, the coming of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And that, that Paul said, and we all started to say Abba, Father. We yeah, all yeah. received that spirit of engaging this, this, this larger divinity, this, large, this thing that is larger than even the universe, as, as, as hey, Daddy, and that's weird. <laughs> it's not because we believe that there is a is, is a man with a beard. It's, no, but that's it's, it's 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 a way of feeling at home in this world. Yes, yes. And I want to say that when I grew up, what I resurrect uh, sorry, what I resurrected what I rejected was a resurrected um, biological male that went literally up into a cloud. And and I think what what a lot of people do nowadays is that's the same that that's how they reject God as well like they yeah. reject the biological male in the sky yeah or they reject the biological person yeah. whose whose organs are literally gutted out and then it's somehow magically restored if you think you understand the resurrection you've already lost that's the that I think that's one of the most important things when we approach this this topic it's like you cannot understand it and the text is not written for you to understand it but I think where my conviction comes from much more deeply is that I believe that self-sacrifice is going to lead to uh, salvation and redemption. That's Self- the underlying yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah. That, that's yeah, what the yeah. story is supposed. Like that's what you're supposed to feel when you believe the story. It's like, okay, I actually believe, and it's what we see in all of our movies uh, yeah. that are good. At least it's like the person who gives himself the most. He's gonna be resurrected. He's gonna be. <laughs> glorified uh, or she and I was watching just this documentary about free diving incredible story about this guy Stephen Keenan he's uh so free diving is basically mm-hmm. when you go down without your without breath. scuba again. yeah and then you go back up and some people go down for, for, for minutes and minutes and minutes and this guy was a safety so security and he helps the person up and his girlfriend actually who's like a world record breaker um, he tries to help her do this impossible dive in uh, in Egypt underneath this crazy stone structure and mm-hmm. it's like something only one woman has ever done before and she's trying to do it and he's her safety and something goes wrong 
and he's looking for her and she's been underwater for so long and he actually gives himself up he gives his own life up to get her just to the to the surface level and he dies there and he's venerated like like no one else and it almost becomes mythical what, mm. what happened there it's the fact that we have the, the images that we even almost believe the story but there's only one way in which this makes sense there's no way that this self-sacrifice that it makes sense yeah it's the only way and then i get to my hobby horse again yeah the only way in which this makes sense is that he loves her so much that he is happy enough to give his life so that she can live because she is part of him mm. his experience of what is useful is that like this this man that brought his three children to the shore and died in the process i think he died a happy man not not that he that's that's too harsh sorry about yeah. that but i think that he would say that he made the right choice yeah he wants them to live desperately yeah because he loves them and i love is a way of that, that 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 makes things possible and that's why i don't think that people who say well it's all about suffering and the cross uh, etc no 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 the cross is the proof of jesus love for his friends yeah it's it's to show how deep the love goes of God for every human being. That's what it shows, because it's the, and I would say it's the way that the inside came outside and brought mm. us in. It's the way that the above came down and brought us up. It's 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 that experience that we can become integrated. That that, that this world can be uh both a nasty rotten corruptible world and heaven on earth uh in the presence of god yeah yeah it's beautiful i think it's uh it's a beautiful place to end it as well oh, okay good that's yeah you're happy with that yeah 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 yeah, yeah. do you this, get everything you want this is my hobby horse so i'm happy to end on my hobby horse yeah <laughs> no i think it's a beautiful way to end okay. um we'll see if we can continue i'm sure we'll see this man back on the channel there's a pleasure to do it in person yeah these were the gospel of philip things that we did three yeah. of the twelve we won't do uh, many more we won't bore you won't bore you to death but um but i'm happy that i could share some a tradition that's not my own it's yeah. a gnostic tradition but i think that the the, the 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 wisdom in that tradition has helped me so much to understand my own tradition better yeah so yes thank you for that. that's beautiful thank you sir